We were at a wedding yesterday for my nephew and his now wife. And uh, if I had to sum up the wedding in one word, it would be joy, which happens to be the candle that we've lit this morning uh, in the Advent. It went hope, love, and then joy. And, you know, I've done a lot of weddings. I've seen a lot of weddings. And weddings always seem to be a real reflection of the couple. And, and, and uh, so no matter what's planned, they're just, they're the, even as much as mother-in-laws get involved and, you know, the whole thing, it, the, the, the personality of the couple always seems to kind of get through. And this particular couple, what would describe them is joyful. They, they were very joyful. And so I started thinking back, back to my old, my wedding, my old wedding, <laughs> my one wedding, and uh, and, you know, trying to think about what, what was I feeling during my wedding? And the overwhelming feeling I had was fear. And uh, not fear because I was doing the wrong thing or what if she isn't the right one. I just, I really owned the magnitude of what I was doing. Like I really believed that when I said, for richer, for poorer, better, for worse, all, you know, forever, till death do us part. I really believe that that's what I was committing to. And so just the idea of that, the, the enormity of that was very um, fearful. And, uh, and, and, and there was joy in there too. Uh, but then I, I go to another time of joy when we had our first child, Audrey. And, um, you know, you, the first time you become a parent is like a big day. It's very joyful. And I remember holding her in my arms and just getting that sense of like, wow, this is, you know, this is my daughter. And I just started getting fearful. Like, what if I drop her? What if I'm not a good dad? What if we end up homeless? What if, like, like again, the enormity of the responsibility actually took some of my joy away and it was replaced with fear. Uh, I remember uh, the day um, Lisa and I had decided to quit our work at our old job, and uh, we drove on this parking lot here, and we were looking at the building, and we were praying, and we were like, I think this is it. I think we're going to give up uh, having a real job uh, for full-time ministry, and just that sense of joy, this process had gone on for 10 years, and just that sense of joy. And, and then that, all of a sudden, the fear started, man, what if these people are wackos, you know? <laughs> and some fears come true, you know, what are you going to do? No, I'm kidding. But, no, but you have that fear, what, what, if, what if I fail? What if the church doesn't grow? What if we go bankrupt? What, what, I mean, like, what, what if I can't, what if it fails and I can't get back to my old job in time and they've already filled the position, you know, if it, if we, I planned on it failing within six weeks, which gave me enough time. But, um, but, but again, a time that was really joyful became, I didn't experience all the joy that I could have had because it, uh, it came with fear. There are some things, some joys I'll never experience ever in my life because of fear. Um, I have a picture here. This is uh, Lisa. I don't know if this is working or not, but uh, Lisa's on here. Good, you got Yeah. So, and she's strapped to some dude, which is disturbing, but that's not the <laughs> point of what I'm trying to show here. 
But you can kind of see the joy in Lisa's face as she jumps out of this plane. And if you saw the whole video, which I wouldn't, that's like home videos, you wouldn't want to see it. But, but there's a time in the video where she's pointing to the air around her going, he's here, he's here. And he was talking about just the Lord is even in the skies. Um, I would have been talking about the Lord in certain ways, but not necessarily <laughs> he's here, you know. Okay, and then this is her when she gets on the ground, and it's just, this is just the joy of what it's like to be on ground. Um, and then uh, this is just a picture I put in because she's smoking hot. And then uh, this is my daughter, Emily, who uh, in September, October, jumped out of a plane too because, yeah, they're just, yeah, women are braver than men in my family, and I'm good with it. And there's Emily on the ground and our, our niece, and then uh, here's me. Um, and that is to just make sure that the caution is real. Like, hey, but I will never experience the joy of jumping out of a plane because of that particular caution. And then the, the landing part is really what I'm most afraid of, not the propellers. But, but uh, so, and then I got the, you know, here's Lisa again, just to drive it home. She is crazy. Uh, she's got a snake around her neck, and that's Jesse uh, about ready to get mauled. Um, but I will never experience that joy either of having a snake around my neck, and maybe you like that. I'll never experience the joy of a tattoo because of my fear of pain. There's lots of different joys that I won't ever experience because of fear. Now, I put those up because they're fun and, and, and you can kind of go through life and not jump out of a plane. You can go through life and not put a giant snake around your neck. You can go through life without a tattoo, whatever your fear is. You can go through life. But, but what happens when it gets into the most important relationships in our lives? Well, what happens when it gets into the most important events of our lives? Things that should be so joyful. And yet because of uncertainty, because of different things... We, we, we're gripped with fear and, and it robs us of our joy. Jumping out of a plane is one thing, but just driving, working and working and working and working and working and missing a relationship with your kids because you're afraid of becoming poor, that's an entirely different thing. Missing out the joy of a promotion because now you're like, oh man, I, I, what if I fail and all this kind of stuff. You know, going into full-time ministry and missing out on the joys of daily being able to minister to God's people and to God because you're afraid of some, something else. That's, that's not what God wants for us. And fear manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Um, fear can manifest itself in jealousy. You, you don't want someone else to succeed because that means that maybe you are, it's showing that you're not succeeding and you want to talk about them, gossip maybe, and, and so you're, you're missing out on your own experience because you're too concerned about other people. Fear manifests itself in regret. Will I ever get back what I lost? Uh, can I rebound from this bad decision? And so oftentimes there's times in our lives when we should be sitting in the midst of joy and we just sit and we're reminded of all the mistakes we had made. It could have been so much better if I had just. And so fear sits in that regret and probably the biggest way fear manifests itself is in the anxiety, the fear of the future. You know, we, we look and we go, well, what, what happens if this happens? And what happens if this happens? And that's a lot of what 
you know, I was talking about on my wedding day and on the day my, my kids were born and these different things of just a fear and anxiety. All those things will rob us of our joy. And the thing that's interesting about those situations that I talked about is, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, those inherently had joy in them. There wasn't really a way to make them more joyful. But what if there was a way to experience the joy that was already there? And what I want to do this morning is look at a story that has to do with Jesus being born and talk about that and talk about the shepherds and what their context was and what they had to fight through and different things like that. And then we're going to look at one, two, three, like four little sections of scripture that I think wrap up the idea of how fear robs us of our joy and how joy is there ready for us to grab onto at any time if we'd be willing to do it. So we'll look at the part in the story of the, of the advent where the shepherds are and it says in the Bible that the shepherds were living in the field. So you, you, your Bible, if it's a New American Standard or something like that, it might, might give the idea that they were, just, they were just there, like they happened to be there at night. But in fact, that word that is used is, it's to live in the fields. <laughs> like that's the way it is. It's like that's what they were doing. Most likely they were laborers. Most likely they didn't own the sheep they tended. There was someone else who owned the sheep, someone who had money, maybe someone of power. And so their, their job as a laborer was to go out and live in the fields while the other person was able to manage the rest of whatever the company was, whatever the uh, way they made money was. This might have been one part of their estate and was ha having sheep, another part was this, but these guys were out there. They lived out there. This is what they did. Uh, the reason I want us to get that is because oftentimes when we think of shepherds and we think of all these kinds of things, we, we lose the impact of what, who these guys really were. They were the least of these. They were those who had things to fear. They were those who were barely hanging on. And so they're out here with the sheep. They're living out in the fields nearby and they're keeping their watch over the flocks by night. And this angel shows up and... Um, Apparently, I've never seen an angel, but apparently every time they show up, they're trained to say, don't be afraid. So, quite honestly, I don't think I want to see one. But they're probably big, and a lot of times there's light described. And, um, and so, this is no different. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. So, it's just kind of like... Like, you ever been chased by a helicopter? No? Okay, well, I have. And, and that light is bright. And so it's like an angel appears, and the helicopter comes swooping in, and, and it's scary. Okay? Now, what the angels say to the shepherds, and how this all plays out, is what I want us to take into this week and into the weeks coming as we go through Christmas. Because oftentimes in Christmas, it's a time to be joyful. It's time to remember that our Heavenly Father desired so much a relationship with us that he sent his only son to come as a humble servant born in a, in a manger as a little baby. And we remember that and it's a time to be with family and it's a time to remember and oftentimes what happens is our fear robs us of that. 
And so what the angel says to the shepherds, I'm hoping will be in the back of our minds as we move forward during this Advent season. He says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Set the fear aside and experience the joy that's encompassing what's about ready to take place. Don't be afraid. Now, in this case, the angel was actually talking about, at, you know, don't be afraid, like, because I know you're scared right now. But as we see how these shepherds respond, there's another level of fear that they could have bought into that they didn't do. And so I wanted us to see this word, great joy. This is like, I, I wrote some things down that give a better or uh, uh, increased understanding of what this is. This is complete joy. It's pure joy, inexpressible and glorious joy, overflowing joy. I wrote down, as I was just kind of going through this in my mind this week, it's, it's get out of prison joy. <laughs> like, I can just imagine if you were in prison and you got out of prison, what that day would be like. It's that kind of joy. It's the test come back negative joy where you go through all that time mulling over in your mind, almost sometimes just thinking, okay, what if it doesn't come back negative? What if, what if I really have this? And so you start to think and plan and talk to people, and all of a sudden you get the slip of paper and you go, oh, it's that, that's the kind of joy it is. It's the prodigal son joy. I wrote down, and some of you guys, gals will understand, it's buzzer beater joy. You know, you just... If you've ever played basketball in your backyard and you've just over and over in your mind thought about three, two, one, and you let it fly and bam, that's the kind of joy it is. Winning touchdown joy, I guess. So here's the thing. Like understanding that and understanding the situations that I've maybe missed a little bit in my life, if I go back, if I went back to my wedding day now, knowing what I know now, I promise you there would be no fear. There'd be no sense of, you know, what happens if what, you know, boy, till death do us part, I don't even know. There would be more, it, I, I would have experienced it with more joy. If I went back to the first time I held my daughter when, when you know, that first day, I wish I could go back because I wouldn't even be thinking about what if I drop her. I never dropped her. By the time she was four, we were like, it was like 40 feet up in the air, double flips and catching. Like we had, we'd gotten it down. We were ready to join the circus, right? But like, but like knowing that now, if I could have gone back then and experienced that and gone, oh, I don't, there's no fear in this. I, I, we got this. We, we got this. If I could go back to the time when I went into full-time ministry and I thought, what if it doesn't work out? And It's scary to leave my job. If I went back and I could be with myself in the parking lot as we prayed over this campus, it'd be nothing but joy. Now, here's the weird thing about it. Those circumstances would not have changed one bit. Same circumstances, but I could experience them on a level that I think God wanted me to experience them because I wasn't allowing fear to enter in. I was only experiencing his joy. Now, if that's the case, if I could go back to those and experience joy at a, at a different place, couldn't I potentially, moving forward from this day on, couldn't we potentially 
look at some of the circumstances that bring us fear and think to ourselves, you know what? I'm going to experience the joy in, in this situation. Now, I want us to kind of use our imagination a little bit because what happens is, well, you guys know the story. The shepherds, they go back and I'll just read it. The, the angels continued and they said, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then like if they weren't scared enough, then suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts, like a whole fleet of helicopters, uh, you know, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on the earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels end up leaving. And it says the, the shepherds spoke to one another. This, this, this was key to me. And they said, let's go to Jerusalem. I mean, to Bethlehem. And so they go to Bethlehem. Now, let me ask you a question. Where were the sheep? Because if the shepherd's job is to tend the sheep, and they all go to Bethlehem, and I know what you're thinking. Dude, I saw the manger. There's sheep there, okay? Yeah, there's like two sheep Okay? When you were at Target, you didn't buy no 500 sheep for your manger setting. It'd take up your whole front yard. You didn't do that. Okay? Yeah, they throw in a couple sheep, but that's just to show you the difference between the shepherds and Joseph. Because you can't tell the difference. (laughs) Joseph is the one without the sheep. Okay? This is how it works. I'm a professional. Trust me. But you wouldn't pay for 50 or 100 or 500 sheep. The fact is they couldn't bring the sheep. They had to leave the sheep. Okay, the shepherds had to leave the sheep. Well, who was taking care of the sheep? What was going to happen with the sheep? So David, the worship leader, first service blurted out, it was the angels. Okay, Uh uh-uh. Angels had already left. Okay, I didn't read that. No, here's the thing. I think the idea of the potential to experience the great news, the overflowing, overwhelming news, meant we're not going to fear what's going to happen with the sheep. But see, right in that moment between sheep and Jesus is where I find myself all the time, where it's like I can go and meet the Savior at this intimate moment in this unique way, but I'm thinking too much about the sheep, and I'm not talking as a pastor in this case. I'm thinking too much about just what I can see, what's in front of me, what I know. Or I might think to myself, yeah, but, you know, I could have seen the shepherds going, that was awesome. Could you see the, the helicopters and the thing? And all, man, that was incredible. Oh, let's go to Bethlehem. And then there'd be me. Oh, wait a second. Before we go to Bethlehem, you know, we've got to figure out who's, you know, there's a lot of sheep here and they're not ours and, you know, what, whatever. They move all past that. You know what it says? Have the, this is so awesome. They say this. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen because they left the sheep to go experience what God had called them out to experience. They were able to risk Something for the joy that God had planned. Great joy. Complete joy. Overflowing joy. 
The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. Here's what I found in my own life, especially, especially my spiritual life, my walk with, with my Heavenly Father. My greatest times of joy usually follow my greatest risks. The times when I go, okay, you know what? I'm going for it. And, and, and anyone who's stepped into full-time ministry or stepped into something big or maybe you started, maybe you're thinking, I don't even, I, don't, I couldn't lead a small group and someone came next to you and said, come on, just go ahead. And the things you saw over the next year in that small group or whatever, those greatest things, or maybe you, 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 there was some type of connection activity at church, a men's breakfast or something, and you're thinking, nah, I'm gonna be uncomfortable. And you take that risk, you take that step, I've found in my own life over and over and over again that the bigger risk I take, as long as I'm being called by God to do it, this is the greatest joy. And I've also noticed on the flip side, my joy can leave like that if fear enters in. I'll give you an example from my own life currently. Uh, so we did this capital campaign, the release campaign, and, and, and you guys pledged $400,000 for us to remodel the campus, in which we're... Uh, doing eight bathrooms are almost complete and then um, at the uh, last week the city informed us that our plans for the patio and children's play equipment and fellowship hall have been approved yeah it's very exciting record time three weeks they busted that out it was really cool and so uh, I found out the day of staff meeting on Monday and so Everyone's, you know, at staff meeting, we go around, we talk about our respective ministries and what's going on, and it's a lot of fun, and we have a great time, but I just couldn't, I was just so excited that the plans, that like, like there's going to be a bulldozer here on campus, which is just cool, right? And, 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 and that, that our campus is going to look different than it's ever looked in probably three decades. And then I was like, our campus is going to look different than it ever has in three decades, our campus is going to look different. And so I start thinking, what if, they, what if we can't pay for it? What if the people who pledged decided we're not pledging anymore? Or, hey, well, we pledged and then we decided, I don't know, I don't know. But I f- literally felt the joy of a transformed campus begin to get sucked out of me because I began to be fearful about all these different things. And that's how it plays out. This was probably the biggest risk we've ever taken in a church in in decades. And I think, I know, once the bulldozers show up and we're all done in three months or whatever it is, it'll probably be the greatest time of joy as we step onto this campus and it feels like a campus and it feels great and it looks fantastic and people feel safe and just, it's a family. It's our family thing. How do I go from the joy and the fear and the thing? So I wanted to show you just in Scripture, because if you haven't been noticed, we've been, we've, been, we've been kind of touching on Jesus' birth and his death in each one of these sermons. And so I wanted to touch on, since it's joy, Jesus' birth, and then at his resurrection, there's this verse that you could, you could read past it and not even think much about it. 
if you don't stop and look. And, um, and so I wanted to show you the women show up at the tomb and the stones rolled away. And again, they see an angel. And again, his first thing is, don't be afraid. And, uh, and again, I don't want to meet an angel. And so it says, so the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. That verse describes my entire walk as a Christian, I think. Afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid to take the next step of risk in Christ, but yet I know he's going to be there for me. I know he's going to catch me. And if it's going to a neighbor and starting to talk about Jesus, I'm afraid, yet I'm filled with joy. I have this joy that comes from Christ that I can't just, wasn't just meant for me. It was meant to be distributed. I'm, I'm afraid for what someone might think, and yet I'm filled with joy, and I, I can't stop. And, and, and then other times where I've been filled with joy, and that joy's been robbed, and I've been afraid. And this is exactly where they were, and it was at the resurrection, and there was an angel there. And so in the midst of that tension, I just want to then jump to this other verse that kind of explains what's going on because Jesus, before he died, he was talking to his disciples, and he's got this long, if, if you have a red-lettered Bible, there's many pages of red all together. It's like a big speech. It's his big thing about he's, he knows he's going to die and he's trying to get down to the point of what's going on because he won't be there for a while. And he has this to say about joy. He says, I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Great joy. We bring good news of great joy to all men, all women, no matter where you are financially, no matter where you are emotionally, no matter where you are culturally, pick whatever category you want to pick, age-wise, all that kind of stuff. It's great news. Joy. As we begin this relationship with Jesus Christ, that joy begins to manifest itself in our lives. And that joy becomes complete. That's what Jesus has. So, what do we do in the midst of... uh, Life, right? I mean, in the midst of life, things come up that aren't that joyful. There's issues, there's problems, there's questions, there is anxiety. There's things about, you know, relationships and all these kind of things that we all, we all, we all wrestle with. Well, I wanted to go to another verse that talks about joy. And this one begins to kind of maybe flesh this out even a little bit more. And you might begin to start, as you look at these next three verses, begin to think, okay, now we're starting to kind of land on something that I can bring into this week. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. You mean to tell me that in the midst of trial... So it's not just that there's these joyful times that fear robs, okay? There's those. But that I can even find joy in the things when the test doesn't come back negative? When the finances don't work out the way we thought? When the ministry actually did fail? I can find joy there. Listen, if your source of joy is Jesus Christ, absolutely you can find joy there. 
If he's the source of your joy, then the way the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 52, I think it's verse 10 or 20, I can't remember, was this, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, the reason Jesus' coming was good news of great joy for all people is because it's a never-ending source of joy. No matter what you're going through, as we turn and face Christ, almost like the, like the um, shepherds did, where they said, look, I don't know what's going to happen to the sheep. I don't know what's going to happen here, but if I can just get to my Savior, if I can see the Messiah, I come back rejoicing because it turns out exactly like God said. And what God said, what Jesus said was, I I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So he says, consider it pure joy when you, uh, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And one of the questions I put in our small group questions was, would you rather have comfort, be a person marked by comfort or by one who can persevere or endure? Like, do you want to be the type of person who can handle, handle a lot of stuff or just one that just, I just want my life to be comfortable? Comfort is happiness. That's different than joy. And it's fine to be comfortable. But that doesn't sustain when the trials come. So he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now listen, here it is. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You know what this means to me in the context of what I'm trying to say this morning? What it means to be lacking in nothing? It's that you can experience the full joy of every situation you face. So that when you end up in a situation and that fear begins to go, man, but what if, what if you can go, you know what? God has shown himself faithful over and over and over again. I'm just going to receive the joy that God has for me in this moment. And I'm going to let the sheep worry about the sheep later. I can, I'm always going to get back to that. I'm always going to come back to that. But right now, at this moment, I'm going to experience the Savior. I'm going to experience Jesus. That's exactly, to me, what it means to let perseverance finish its work. He's been proven over and over and over again that it's exactly like he says, that he's proven over and over again when we push aside the fear, we just accept what God has for us, that that joy returns. Let me just share one last story. Um, It's about John the Baptist. And again, it's just kind of an interesting picture of exactly what we're talking about. And uh, David, if you want to come back up, that'd be, that'd be fine. No, no rush. But John the Baptist, so what's happening is John the Baptist's ministry is essentially dying, right? He spent his whole life preparing for the Messiah, and now the Messiah's here. We're about 30 years past Christmas time. And, and, um, and so John has a ministry. He's got disciples. He's, he's made a huge impact, a huge impact in, in the community surrounding him. And so all of a sudden, this is starting to wind down now for him. Now think about his fears. He's Jesus' age. He's 30 years old. He spent his whole life, as in, he's taken a Nazarite vow. He can't drink. He's got all these different dietary things going on and all these different things with his appearance and, and everything. And now what he's put his whole life into is, is falling away. 
Imagine the fear of that. Like, I knew how to usher in the Messiah, but I'm not really good at this particular part. And so they come to him and they go, hey, dude, you know, Jesus' ministry, he's baptizing more people than you. That church down the street has got more, you know, whatever, bigger your, your, your context, you know. That, that business is doing way more business than you guys are doing or, you know, what have you. And John says this, a person can only receive, get this, this is so key to what we're talking about. A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You get that? This is the beginning of removing fear. Everything I have is God's. Where I am, God knows where I'm at. He knows my financial situation. He knows my marital situation. He knows my situation. Everything I have is his, is what John's saying. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. And then he says this, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. (laughs) This is... This imagery is fantastic. It's like kingdom things belong to the king of the kingdom, if you will. My life is God's, essentially, John is saying. I'm not going to try and get all I can and harbor all I can for myself. That is a recipe for fear, to just try to get and all for me. But he says... The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Then he says, The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I love this. That joy is mine and is now complete. You know what John's saying? I don't care what happens to my ministry. I don't care what happens to me. The joy of ushering in the Messiah, that's what I did, and that joy is mine. And every one of us here can have that joy of ushering in the Messiah into our workplace, into our, into our neighborhoods, into our marriage, into our relationships with our kids and with our parents, into our schools. And it's like, well, what happens if, well, I don't care what, I, the only things I have are received from heaven anyway. My job is to usher in the, the Messiah, and I did. And that joy is mine, and it's complete. And then he says this, and To me, I just feel like in those times of fear, this is the, the thing I just got to keep in the back of my mind. He must become greater, and I must decrease. 